You can turn to Revelation 21. And as you go there, uh, let me say a couple of things from the start. Um, I want to thank uh, the, the Burgers for being with us. Vernon and Amber and Titus and Justice are in for the weekend. And they are, they are uh, partners with us in the ministry to Hope of Life in India. Uh, God has, has knitted us together in a very cool way. And so anytime they're, they're in, it's a great encouragement uh, to us and uh, very grateful for uh, some of the, the chapters in the ring's life uh, that have involved you guys. So thanks for being here with us. And um, as I said uh, a few minutes ago, we're, we're into the 30 days of prayer a little bit. Um, tomorrow would be day seven. And so if you haven't uh, joined in on that, it's certainly it's just never too late. Uh, there's uh, uh, emails that go out every morning at 4 a.m. And no, I do not wake up early or stay up late to send them out. Uh, those emails go out so that hopefully when you wake up in the morning, it's there waiting on you. And uh, there's also a book that you can go through with us uh, that goes through the covenant. And um, one of the things about the 30 days is that it's, it's always a very, it's a uniquely weird time. Because, uh, I, I mean, I, would, I hope that we are praying outside of the 30 days, but there's, uh, it's just, it's like this one month or so of the year when uh, you got a lot of people reading the same stuff and praying along in the same direction, you know. And uh, it tends to stir up good, good things, for sure. It tends to stir up affection. Uh, if you've never, for example, you know, if you've never sat, sat down and just thanked the Lord for our corporate salvation... Uh, that's a, that stirs up really good stuff in us, you know. Um, it also stirs up the enemy to come at us a little bit, and there's this very unique warfare that shows up during the 30 days, and um, you know, nothing creepy, but it's just different, you know. And 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 I always try to anticipate it, and I never anticipate it correctly. It's usually about day 17 when I realize, like, oh, this is the way the attack is showing up this year in my my life, or maybe corporately, or whatever. And um, so we've tried to get out ahead of it as, as elders and staff over the last few years. And um, a part of what we're, we try and do intentionally is, as we're praying, also try to build in things on Sunday night and also things in community group where, where all the streams are kind of flowing as one river together. And so in our uh, community groups, um, which start back this week, by the way, um, we'll be kind of pulling parts of the covenant out that we have prayed for and just dialoguing about a little bit. And they are typically things that we need to work on, you know. Uh, there are some parts of our covenant that I've really seen a tremendous amount of growth in over the last eight years. Some things that when we started off, we just kind of weren't, we just kind of weren't there yet, you know, it just, whatever. And so we've, we've really matured in some ways. And then there's still some things that we're kind of struggling with a little bit. So, for example, this week, um, you know, so tomorrow, in the, we get to the part, part of the covenant about, Pursuing intimacy with God through being devoted to the Word. And we did all of our summer community groups on that, you know. And uh, So tomorrow we're going to get into that a little bit because uh, I don't get a sense that, uh, that, that, is like, that there's a ton of like, overcoming that's happened in that struggle with discipline in the Bible and stuff. I, it's not to say that we've made zero progress, you know. But I think we would probably all agree that we still have a ways to go. That's a desire for us. Like we want to be... People who, who are comfortable diving in the Word 
individually and together and that kind of stuff. And so we're going to talk about it. And so the community groups that sync up with 30 days, stuff that will come from the covenant. Um, on Sunday night, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend all four of these Sunday nights on one subject. And I believe it's, it's a long time coming. And I think that uh, it would definitely be a, a dramatic statement to say this is the worst part about our community. So don't hear me saying that. Uh, I do, however, believe that we have uh, a lot of growth that can happen in this particular area of communal life together. Uh, a lot of what I deal with, a lot of what Meg deals with, a lot of what the elders deal with, uh, probably the interns, I mean, all of us, we're always dealing with things that a lot of times come down to the fact that this is not a real strength. And it's not just a strength at the ring. It's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's, I hate to call it a weakness, that sounds so harsh, but like, it's an opportunity for growth. In every church I've ever been a part of, and maybe it's a, maybe it's a southern thing, maybe it's an American thing, but it is, uh, it's something that I believe if we pursue it, and if we go after it, and if we trust Jesus in it, will radically transform the culture of our church family and the way that we live together. And it will, uh, the, the more that we as adults work hard in this, those kids in that nursery are going to grow up with it being really normal. And that's a, a part of the dream here, I believe, is that, uh, that we, let's, let's deal with whatever we need to deal with. Let's create the kind of culture that those babies, and, all, and there's a lot of them, create a culture that we want them to grow up into. Not one that they'll grow up into and be ashamed of. Grow up one that's exactly what we want it to be. Um, and so, uh, so the opportunity that we have before us is to greatly mature in the way that we deal with conflict. We're not that great at it. Some, some of you are awesome. I mean, some of you are stunningly good at dealing with conflict. And I don't mean like you're like really awesome at calling people out. You know, like you're, you know, like, oh, you can reduce someone to shreds like so beautifully. It's like, no, that's not, that's not conflict resolution. A lot of times that's just creating more conflict. Uh, but some of you are really, really good at, at legitimate, like, biblical conflict resolution. Some of you have progressed a lot in this because you've been in the trenches with it and you've had to deal with it. Um, but by and large, a lot of the, a lot of the uh, horizontal, interpersonal stuff that we struggle with can be traced back down to a couple of things that didn't happen or that happened out of order. Or you knew they were supposed to happen, but it didn't. And dealing with conflict in a biblical way is one of the most practical ways that we live in the kingdom together. Uh, and so what we're going to do over the next four weeks is construct... Um, well, we're going to look at how Jesus already constructed it, put it that way. Um, and, and I kind of wrote it down, and I'm kind of thinking of it this way. And, and I want to caution you against... Uh, emotionally reacting to things from this sermon tonight. I'm not saying it's going to be an awesome sermon, but here's what, here's what I am saying. It would be really easy to walk out and be like, okay, well, I need to like, get on the phone and start rolling some people up. That's not what I'm saying. And actually, I'm going to ask you to, to like, not pull the trigger on uh, big confrontational conversations until we get into the series a little bit. So tonight, we're just going to kind of build a foundation, like building a house, all right? So tonight, we're going to set the form, all right? 
We're going to build the foundation. And then next week, we'll put the walls up. We'll frame it, you know. And then next week, we'll hang the sheetrock. And next, the next week, we'll put the paint on it and make it all pretty. And then you can, then you can start sitting people down, you know. Uh, but I'm kind of worried. Like, I don't want to, like, kick the hornet's nest tonight. And then all week long, everybody's like, why in the world would you preach on that? Because now all we're doing is having terrible conversations with each other. So we're going to start very theological and work toward the practical. So if you could maybe wait and see the full scope of it, uh, that would probably, probably make my life a lot easier. And probably your community group lot, and, and whatever. So just, just hang, hang tight with me. But I just need to warn you on the front end. I'm going to push us really hard in the next four weeks. Um, and I say us because I'm not up here as like someone who completely is like got this down pat. I'm going to push us, myself included, uh, in this because I believe it is crucial for us. All right. So um, this is one of the most organized uh, nights that I've ever had as far as notes go. Like I've impressed myself with how organized this is. Um, so. Th- let me, let me tell you, there's going to be three parts, three parts of this foundational thing tonight. I'm going to put the points up on the, on the thing right now. Uh, so these are, are the three points. This is where we're going. Um, I think these are really important things to, to consider as, you are, uh, as you're pursuing uh, some sort of resolution with conflict in your life. Things to consider. Um, the impact of sin, the safety of the kingdom, and the precedent of the gospel. Impact of sin, safety of the kingdom, precedent of the gospel. Okay, let's start with the very first one, uh, the impact of sin. Uh, I told you to turn to Revelation 21 just because we're going to hop around a lot, so I just didn't want that happening a whole lot. But in Genesis chapter 3, we see, uh, we see where all this stuff comes from. We see the very beginnings of sin and why it's such a problem. And so um, Adam and Eve eat of the tree and there's this, you know, kind of come to Jesus meeting, so to speak. And the, the impact of sin is described. And so uh, I talk about this uh, a good bit, how the, the serpent was cursed, and the woman was cursed, and the man was cursed, and the earth was cursed, and all this kind of stuff. Um, but in verse 16, we see like this, we see where all of our conflict really like started. And so this is, God's talking to the woman um, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. A couple of amens out there probably. Um, and so that's, that comes from sin. Uh, sorry about that, moms. Um, but then your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. That's where all of our conflict resolution, like that's where it comes in. So what does that mean? Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. It means a part of the impact of sin is this, is that there is a constant, there's introduced into the marriage relationship is this power struggle. It's the woman wanting to be the boss, and, and, and um, coming after the husband, like wanting to rule the house. And it's the husband wanting to also rule the house, uh, and wanting to dominate over her. And so they were created uh, for each other as helpmates. God said it's not good for Adam to be alone. Make for him a helpmate from his rib. Everything's good and wonderful. And they lived in peace with each other. And there wasn't a power struggle. And there were roles that were played. And they were together and supporting each other. And it was mutual. And there was legitimate peace not just the absence of conflict, but like a oneness with God and His will, 
a true shalom, and sin took them from being on the same page to pinning them against each other. And that was passed on to their children to where uh, one of their sons murdered the other one because he was jealous because they were pinned against each other. And that's where war comes from and greed comes from. And that's where uh, everything that we come up against interpersonally, everything where one person is pinned against another person goes back to sin being introduced into the world. You and I were not made to live in conflict with each other. Sin has pinned us against each other, though. Um, You don't need to turn to this one either, but in James chapter 4, Joel Gilbert preached on this over the summer. Uh, Let me just read this to you, starting in verse 1. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is, is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. And so sin has put us against each other and also against God. He's opposing us, that there's a separation that that has come. And so the impact that sin has had on us uh, is it has made us aggressive toward each other. And it has separated us from God. Apart from Christ, that's that's the situation. And so... We can watch the news and say, well, why does this go on? Why is this war happening? Why is this going on? And, and um, so Vernon and, and Amber and then they're involved in South Sudan. Why is all that happening? Uh, you and your best friend are frustrated with each other. Why is that happening? It's all the same. It all goes back to Genesis when sin came into the world. And so we have to, we have to learn to see, like, to see conflict theologically. So if you, if you are mad at your spouse that should trigger something in us. We should say, oh, I'm, I'm mad at my spouse because of the fall. I'm mad at my spouse, and that should remind me of my need for a Redeemer. Because in my own power, I can't, I can't, I can't. That's the impact that sin has. So when we clash, we need to learn to see it that way, that sin has divided us. It's separated us from God, and it's separated us from each other, and it's put us all in exile. And so sin has divided us. Christ has come to unify us, to God first, then to each other. And so in our quest for conflict resolution, we have to learn to see it that way. That the enemy is not your spouse, or your boss, or your neighbor, or your friend, the person who betrayed you, the person who abused you, the person that you hate, the person that hates you, it didn't start with them, it started with sin. And so that's the first step that we have to recognize. Um, and what's beautiful about that, like when, let's take the husband-wife conflict. When you realize, like, man, sin has pinned us against each other, Christ has unified us. But the very 
thing at the root of why you are fighting has already been dealt with. That Jesus has already died for the sin that has occurred, that has pinned you against each other. It's a done deal. So Jesus is saying, you don't have any, there shouldn't be any conflict because I've already taken care of that. So really, all of your conflicts are already resolved. They're already resolved. Everything that pins us against each other has already been dealt with. So conflict resolution, in many ways, is us just catching up to what's real, to what Jesus has done. So, that's the first thing, the impact of sin that's pinned us against each other. The second thing is the safety of the kingdom. So, we went to Revelation 21. The safety of the kingdom, uh, I believe that it's Dallas Willard who summarizes the kingdom uh, by using the words of Jesus. Uh, When Jesus said in the the Lord's Prayer, uh, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. You want to know what's kingdom? On earth as it is in heaven. That we're, we're living in that reality. So what, what happens in heaven? Well, Revelation 21 kind of paints a picture for us. Uh, let's read a couple of these verses. Starting in verse 1. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth passed away. Alright, so... He's going to make everything new, so He's going to make this earth new. And all this will pass away. And so what passes away with, with this earth? Uh, everything that broke it passes away. So everything that, that, that um, has fractured us internally as we relate to ourselves, and as we relate to each other, and as we relate to God, and as we relate to creation, and all those kinds of things, everything that's gotten in the way of true peace and shalom uh, passes away. And all that's left is this pure, uh, on earth as it is in heaven, except there's this new earth, and it is heaven, and so they're all like one thing. So here we're praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and then on the new earth, it'll just all be that way already. We won't have to ask for it. We won't have to long for any sort of redemption or any, any sort of change, it'll be exactly, exactly as he wants it to be. So, um, so, first heaven, first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of, out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, this is on earth as it is in heaven, here we go, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So that's that's everything, right? Verse 5, He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God, 
and he will be my son. Flip, or just look down at 22, chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. What does that tell you? Right? There's, there's no, more, no more strife between nations. There won't be the, the divisions of where were you born, where were you born. All the things that we hate about the way the planet interacts at that level. Be for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. So, on earth as it is in heaven, looks like that. He's describing the kingdom of God in a way where if we're saying on earth is in heaven, that's what heaven looks like. We bring that into our reality. You know what that picture paints for us? We're completely safe with each other. That when you have a, we have a room full of believers, okay, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to, let's just, let's just assume that, let's assume that everybody here is a Christian. If you're not a Christian, I'd love to talk to you about that afterwards if you have questions, but, but I know that it's different, but we're talking within the family, all right, within the family of God, there is complete safety. Like there's no risk. There's nothing to hide. There's, there's no shame. There's no whatever. We, we're completely safe to work through the conflict that comes between us. In a few weeks, um, or over the next three weeks, I'll address at different points like some of the, the fears and concerns and the things that keep us from um, from really engaging in true conflict resolution, but the bottom line is this: they're all like none of those things are legitimate. Like our fears, and are like, oh, I don't want it to be awkward, and this and this. That's, that's not based in reality. That's based in the kingdom of of the world that Jesus has saved us out of, and He saved us into His kingdom, where everything is done out in the open. That the consequences of us sitting down with someone and having that conversation and saying, like, hey, when you said this, or when you did this, or whatever, that's a completely safe conversation. Because we weren't meant to live that way. That's the safety of the kingdom. So sin has flipped us upside down, and the kingdom comes in and says, hey, you weren't meant to live upside down. You were meant to live right side up. And so Jesus is going to come in and set you right side up. And when you're right side up, it's like, hey, why don't we just have a conversation? Why don't we just, let's talk about this and let's pray about this. And even if things are weird between us for a while, we'll get through it. You know why? Because Jesus already died for the conflict that we have with each other. He's already taken care of it. We just need to catch up with the gospel, you know. We just need to catch up with reality. And I know that there's like, uh, you know, oh, my roommate never washes the dishes. There's like that level. And then there's a whole, there's the, like, progressively through, like, more and more intense and serious things to where on the other end of the spectrum, you're dealing with, like, I mean, you're dealing with abuse. You're dealing with some harsh, harsh stuff. 
And so we need to, to recognize that from one end of the spectrum to the other, sin has caused it. And from one end of the spectrum to the other, the kingdom is perfectly safe. And from one end of the spectrum to the other, Jesus' death on the cross has covered it. But on one end of the spectrum, it's like, hey, we just need to like talk about it. We just need to have a conversation. And then you move toward the other extreme, and there's, there is a need for some deep healing and, and counseling and working through stuff. And I'm not saying that uh, if you have been wronged on this other end of the spectrum where there's deep pain and wounds and abuse and all these kinds of things, I'm not saying that, um, yeah, real conflict resolution means that you're like, like BFFs with your abuser for the rest of the no, it's like, no. Because some, some relationships, honestly, are not going to be 100% on earth as it is in heaven until the new earth is here. That's, that's how it is. But you can live at peace and not be best friends with somebody. That you can resolve conflict and be in true shalom and, and you don't have to hang out all the time. And resolving conflict is not a way of saying, like, hey, what you did to me, no big deal, it's okay. No, that's not it either. The safety of the kingdom means that it's okay to say, hey, when you did this, you were wrong. That was, that was injustice that came my way because of what you did or said. Uh, in the kingdom, it's, it's safe to call sin, sin, and to call healing, healing. So... The impact that sin has had has pinned us against each other. The kingdom that Jesus comes and brings on earth as it is in heaven means like, hey, it's, it's completely safe. Your fears are not based in reality. Jesus understands conflict, but he also understands the kingdom. And it's from that perspective that he draws us into healing together. He understands conflict. He understands the kingdom. And so he's the one that's saying, hey, uh, this is how you need to live together. And so that brings us to the third point, which is the precedent of the gospel. So you weren't made to live in exile from God or exile from each other. And so sin flips us upside down. The kingdom says, hey, you weren't meant to live that way. And Jesus says, yeah, but you can't flip yourself over. I can, I can flip you over. So the precedent of the gospel is this. We need to learn to think about conflict theologically. It started in Genesis 3, and it was healed at the cross. And so he has given us the model for conflict resolution in the gospel. That's, when we think about the cross, that's one way you can think of it. It's like, oh, how should we handle conflict? Oh, the same way Jesus did with us. So what did Jesus do? Well, um, you don't need to turn to it. You maybe have heard it before. In the third chapter of John, verse 16, there's this verse that's very common. Uh, Rainbow Head uh, has made it very prominent at sports events for a long time until he went to prison. Um, do you remember Rain- Rainbow Head? Nobody? I was going to be here for Halloween, and everybody's like, I kept bouncing it off of people, and I was like, nobody knows who Rainbow Head is. It's like, you do, but you just have to be older to know. You should Google that later, Um, but not now. Um, In John 3.16, we see this verse that you probably know, that God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. 
So in this verse, we see the precedent of, of the gospel. We, we see that this is how God resolves conflict. This is how God resolved conflict with us as humans. Um, so the first thing we see, you can write these down. There's a couple of points, um, like sub-points. So there's love. So love the world. Uh, that he gave. That's action. See, conflict re- resolution requires more than just like, uh, like having snippy conversations about what someone did to you. That's not the kind of action that we need. Uh, there's action involved. Um, and that we'll get into what those actions are at some point later, but uh, conflict resolution is going to require you to do stuff. It's going to require effort. So how did he resolve conflict? Out of love, and then the action that he gave. And who did he give? He gave his son. So that's self-sacrifice. Um, conflict doesn't get resolved without you, you living sacrificially in the community. We'll get into all that kind of stuff, but you need to understand that. And that's coming from the precedent that's been set by the gospel. Self-sacrifice, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Uh, I would label that as, as truth. That God told us the truth. That for us to believe in him, he had to come in and explain all this. He had to, under, he had to explain that sin flipped us upside down, and that the kingdom, we weren't made to live in exile and, and upside down, and that, that he was going to send a redeemer to set us right side up. And so, all that stuff, God was not afraid to tell us the truth. And that's one of the missing ingredients in a lot of our conflict, is that we're just unwilling to be honest with each other. In the kingdom, it's perfectly safe, he's made it perfectly safe for you to say, this hurt my feelings. This made me angry. I've held this against you for three years. Tell the truth. You wouldn't be here as a Christian if God hadn't told you the truth. I wouldn't be here as a Christian if in the gospel, in the, as we respond at the table in a few minutes, if he hadn't been honest with me, I would still be stuck in my sin. So there was love and there was action and there was self-sacrifice and he told us the truth. And the fifth thing I think this shows us is that it requires divine power because God's the one that did this. That we cannot resolve our conflict apart from his involvement. We've got to invite him into our issues. And you know what happens sometimes is you start to feel really dumb. You know, like... You start to pray about it, and you're like, God, just tell me I'm just so mad that my roommate won't do the dishes. And you're like, okay, I get it. I heard it. I said it. I heard it when I said it. Silly. But then there's other conflicts where you're like, man, sometimes it's just too painful. You're like, I don't want to pray about it. That conflict will not be resolved without you inviting him in. And the Bible paints a pretty clear picture of the mercy of God of him saying, like, hey, I'm, I'm ready to step into like, those of you who are in trouble. Those of you who are hurting. I'm really ready to dive in with you and enter into that pain. Um, he says, why don't, you, why don't you bring me into it? So if you want to resolve conflict in your own strength, it's going to flop every single time. Because the precedent of the gospel has been set. We couldn't flip ourselves upside down. It took him stepping into history like he did. And so that precedent has been set. That is a model for us. 
And so what we are really doing with each other, just to think about it in very simple terms, when we are pinned against each other, whoever it is, the task at hand is, okay, how do we reenact the gospel with each other? How do we reenact what Jesus has done? How do we reenact the, the vertical conflict resolution? How do we make that horizontal? What does that look like? How do we walk in love and truth and action and self-sacrifice? And how do we live from Him in a divinely empowered way? How do we let Him bring us into the reality of the kingdom? And how do we catch up with what He has already done for us? That's the foundation of conflict resolution. is for us to recognize what's really going on. Like, what's really going on? We get caught up in the emotions and the, you know, they did this and this and this and this. We get caught up in all these details. We need to go back to the basics, like, what's really going on here? We're pinned against each other. Jesus has already freed us. So let's live free. Let's not live in bondage. Let's live in the freedom that he has provided for us. And so over the next few weeks, as we, kinda, as we add to the foundation, we're going to get into some of the different passages and ideas and things of like the mechanics of how this needs to work and uh, I've been surveying people and having this conversation, different things. I have all kind of stuff put together, but really just felt like before we get into like, okay, well, who should you, who, who makes the first move? Is it the one who was hurt, the one who did the hurting? And it's like, okay, before we do that, we recognize what's really going on. Let's build on the right stuff. Let's build on the gospel. And then it kind of just reframes the whole, the whole process. So... Uh, if you were here last week, my brother was here and kind of took us through a, a, the, the family meal of the church uh, through communion and just as a response. And like we said last week, we're going to do this every week during the 30 days. We're going to take communion together every time as a response. And so the, the table being here, um, and let me... Drew did this last week, and I don't know if you saw it, but some people got nervous. But I'm going to clean my hands. Uh, he did it, I promise, but he didn't, he didn't let you see him do it. And also, there are two cups, and I, I know there's a lot of nervous folks who are like, we about to, uh, about to drink out of the same bucket, <laughs> you know? And, um, and so we're not. Uh, and in all honesty, last week I dropped my bread into the juice, like first one in line, like, blop, just goes in, it's like floating on the top, like, so, I'm well trained in Mexican restaurants, and I know what to do, so you get a second chip, and dip that first chip, and you, like, fish it out, so I did that with, last week, so, what we're going to do, you step forward, and you, you tear off a piece of the bread, and the brokenness there, like, there's a, there's a a point there, you tear it off, that in resolving conflict, Jesus comes and he offers his life and his body was broken for you. And the folks that will be at the front, they're going to tell you that when you tear off the bread. They're going to say, the body of Christ broken for you. Um, and, and when you, you take that bread and you dip it into the, the juice that's there, they're going to say, the blood of Christ poured out for you. We need to think in terms of, of the conflict that has been resolved between us. That at one point we were alienated from God, and because He stepped in, that's not the case anymore. That He is, we now live in peace with Him. Okay, vert, like thinking vertically, but not that He's up there. I mean, he's everywhere, right? He's in all around us, everywhere. 
But in terms of thinking like vertical and horizontal relationships, there just there isn't any more conflict really. That's what we're trying to learn to live in the reality of. The fact that he has fixed it all. He has fixed it all. And so our response at the table is you stepping forward and, and, and you're saying, like, I'm, I acknowledge that Jesus has come and he has said, you can't fix this, but I can. And you're going to be, you're going to be offered the, the meal. So Jesus is offering us the meal. Saying, here's my body broken for you. Here's my blood poured out for you. Do you want this? And you're saying, yes. And you come and you get it. He's saying, cool, awesome, let's do this. But we do so recognizing that, uh, that he has is, he is set us right side up, and that's what's real about us. Um, so I'd like the, our, our servers to come forward. And um, the way this will work is I'll, I'm going to serve them, and then they'll position themselves, and then we'll just open it up, and you just start to come with all these things in mind. And so if you would, just enter into a time, just prepare your heart. Think about the fact that at one point you were alienated from God because of sin and now he has restored you to himself. Uh, you just begin to pray and I'll serve them and then when it's open, just go ahead and begin to uh, move forward.